Hi, loves. I am so excited for today's show. Oh my gosh, I have an incredible woman on my show today. You guys, I'm sure, know and love her. I have the amazing Gretchen Rossi, who has her own incredible podcast, Not Too Taboo, with Stage 9. 29 Productions, Dr. Phil Studios. She is a new mom of the beautiful Skylar, obviously a former Real Housewives of OC. She works with Bio Reigns. She is an incredible, um, I would say, market partner for Monet, this amazing hair company. She honestly does so much. She's also working on a project with Slade on the Liberace Foundation for saving the children. Gretchen is literally doing it all and killing it and inspiring us while doing it. Gretchen, welcome to my show. Oh, thanks, Allie. That was so sweet. You're welcome. I'm so you excited to have like, you here. Thank you. Me too. You make me sound like superwoman. And some days I definitely can't find my cape. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Oh my gosh. That was me this morning. It was like, I set my alarm like eight times to get on with you real life because oh. Waking me up to breastfeed last night, and I'm like, really? Tonight's the night you're gonna wake me up every hour on the hour? Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> no, I swear it's so true. I mean, you and I communicate a lot at like 2 a.m. on DMs in social, and I'm I'm always just like, man, like I cannot. Well, first of all, I work late because Skylar is just a ball of energy. Like she's literally the Energizer Bunny all day long, and. She will not unplug or will not stop until that final like moment before she falls asleep. And it is like crazy. So I barely get to get anything done. Thank God we have a little bit of help during the week. Um, and honestly, we, I had no intention of even having help. I was like, oh, I can do this. I want to be super mom. I want to be there every day with the kids. And it got to a point where I was finding myself just crying every day because I was like, I can't get legitimately one thing done. Like every time I'm in the middle of one email, something happens, something goes on. And so I was just like, I got to at least have help. So, but most of the time I still am like helping her doing something with Sky because she's just a lot of work. And so <laughs> I, um, I find myself up so late working, um, you know, from like eight to 2 a.m. And then of course she's up throughout the night because she just is not a good sleeper. And then every day I find myself just exhausted from being exhausted. Well, thank you for being real about that because I think someone like, you know, you that people see obviously, you know, I've been on a major show and, you know, has a huge social following and does all these projects. It's so refreshing to hear, you know, someone in your position say, hey, it's really hard for me too. And I'm in the trenches because I think that it's really easy. And you and I have talked about this so many times that like social can just give this beautiful feed and beautiful look of like, oh, I've got it all together. When in reality, like, yeah, some days you may, you maybe do, but like you just said, there's a lot of days where you're not. And I feel the same. There's some days like I cannot get my shit together. Uh-uh. No, no. <laughs> I'm, I mean, and honestly, for me, it's pretty much every day right now. Like, like, you know, I literally feel like I'm on the show Survivor. Like, I'm just literally trying to survive <laughs> at this point. Like, I don't, I literally feel like I'm like a chicken with my head cut off. And yes, I, I, I am able to post pretty pictures that I get every now and again with Skylar. But majority of the time, it's just a bloody disaster. Like, I even told Slade the other day, I was like, I don't even know what my couch actually looks like anymore because our entire living room is now the playroom. And it's like, <laughs> I don't, I, I take 
so much pride in my home looking a certain way and being pretty and having all my decor up and like all this stuff. And I was like, literally like crying despite about the fact that like, I couldn't even put up my decor and cause decor and, and decorating and doing all that designing is like, it brings me so much joy. And it's like my favorite thing to do in my pastime. And like, just really like, it, it's my creative outlet for me. So when I don't have that, it's really hard. And I had to take every coffee table out of the house, every trinket, every glass, you know, everything out because guy just grabs it all. And she's just at that age. And so Slade has to remind me all the time, like, this is just for a period of time. And I'm like, I know, but I want my pretty candles. So I, you know, just relax. (laughs) That's real life, right? Like, oh my gosh, it's so funny you said about the glass table because Amelia is two and a half. And like, I think it was like about a month ago now, Amelia decided that she was going to, you know, push my ottoman around. And in the process of doing that, she sent our glass table flying and it went everywhere and broke all over the floor. Oh, oh no. God. like everywhere and it was glass everywhere and of course oh. like Amelia get on the couch because I'm freaked out about her and I'm moving the baby and I'm yelling to yeah. Justin, and it's like oh my god so I, I understand like you're it really does change you look around your house and you're like oh everything is a toy everything has become like a show yeah. and it's a shit show yep. <laughs> yeah and then like I'm like embarrassed like for when anybody ever comes over to my home now because I I take so much pride in like my home looking a certain way and being a certain way. And I got to tell you, this season has certainly taught me to just let go, like really let go and just like, just be in the moment and be present and just not to worry about the small stuff anymore. Because, you know, when, when you're type A personality, when you, you know, you got to remember I had Sky at age 41. So like for 40 something years of my life, I've been able to do what I want, when I want, how I want, you know, and have this kind of, if if I may call it a peaceful life. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that peaceful during housewives, but, you know, like in my own home, I could create this serene space. And so the fact that um, I've had to really just embrace that and just go with it. And, you know, I, I remember back even before I had babies, like, you know, I would walk into my friend's houses and they would just be a total disaster. And I was like, how do they live like this? And now I like fully understand. Like, I'm like, you just, you finally go, I give up. Like, I can't compete. Skylar wins. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, you do. You, you just you give surrender. up. Motherhood is like this beautiful yeah. surrender. Mm-hmm. It well, really is. It really and, is just about surrendering. And like for you, Gretchen, like, you know, Skylar's now almost 15 months. So it's like, you've been in this for a minute. You survived and got through her one year, like the whole thing. How do you feel when you look at like Gretchen before being a mom and now being a mom? Because I know we all know how bad you wanted to be a mom and are so grateful that you are now in this place. How was it for you going from, you know, that world to where you are now? You know, I, I, it, it has been a very, honestly, very difficult transition for me. I um, had massive postpartum depression, like to the point where my, um, my, uh, what's it called? My OBGYN and my pediatrician actually got on the phone together. They happened to know each other. They recommended, you know, each other, me to each other. And so I ended up um, not even realizing that I was in like a really bad place. And they ended up like almost having to do an intervention with me. And when I was in my pediatrician's office, I was just like crying and couldn't stop crying. And I was just like such a mess. 
And so then my OBGYN called and she's like, Gretchen, I think we need to talk. And it was like this whole thing. And they really wanted me to get on the pharmaceutical meds because I, I just wasn't doing well. And I knew I wasn't doing well. Um, but I, we have addiction and we have substance abuse and pill abuse in our family. And so I was just very, very, very adamant about not wanting to take the drugs, even though I was struggling so badly. And um, so that first six months was really tough on me. And the worst part is for anybody that struggled with postpartum depression and someone like me, well, postpartum depression is hard enough, but someone like me that wanted a baby so badly and you had tried for four and a half years and you had been through the ringer and so much IVF and you put your body through so much um, in order to, you know, have this little miracle. When, when you add that layer on top of it, there's so much like guilt and so much like yuckiness that comes along with that. And that was really hard for me. I was just like, how can I be so like depressed and sad? And like, what, I can't believe this is my life now. Cause I just remember I would sit on the couch cause I was breastfeeding and I would just sit there and like all day, I just felt like I was a milky machine and I would just stare out the window and she would be like attached to my breast and I would look up the window and I just like would sit there and cry. And I'd be like, I can't believe this is my life now. Like, this is all I do. Like, I can't leave the house. I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. Like I, I just, and I, I could not lose the weight to save my life. Like it was really strange right after I came out of the hospital, I lost a lot of weight um, immediately. And then it just stopped and it would not budge, not even one little bit. And so I just felt overweight. I felt ugly. I looked in the mirror. I hated everything I saw in the mirror. I, you know, loved Skylar and I loved this little baby so much. But the other hard part for me was that when she came out, I literally was like, who this? Like, whose baby is this? Because she had dark black hair <laughs> and she like looked nothing like me. And so it was like there was, there was this strange like disconnect for me when I first met her. And then my parents had to remind me, like, Gretchen, when you came out, you had super dark hair, then it went red, then it went blonde. And that's exactly what happened with Skylar, too, like the exact process. So I, this answer is very long. But the truth is, is that it took me a good six months for me to even, like, get out of that cloudy state. Um, and then it wasn't until I remember the night that I just knew I had to do something, take some sort of pharmaceutical drugs, because I was just in such a bad place. And I was sitting in bed crying and I was reading about all the side effects of, of the meds they wanted me to take. And during that reading it, I read how, how you had to take other medicine to deal with the symptoms that you were going to have from getting off the other medicine they wanted you on for the postpartum. And I was just like, oh, hell no. Like, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not going through this. And, you know, we um, are co-founders in uh, the company BioRange, which is a CBD company. And because I was such a high-risk pregnancy and, um, you know, there hadn't been enough studies done on the CBD and pregnancy and all that, I chose to stop taking the CBD products while I was pregnant. Now, there's many doctors out there that say it's perfectly safe still and all of that. And I've had many friends take it while they were pregnant and have no issues. But for me, I just chose that because I was a high-risk pregnancy, I just didn't want to do anything that I could possibly ever say, what if it was that? So I stopped taking it. Um, I had taken it before and then I stopped while I was pregnant and I all of a sudden was like, wait a minute, I'm willing to take these like hardcore pharmaceutical drugs that I know are not good for you 
that I know are like, you know, this crap. And, but yet I'm not willing to take these all natural plant-based, you know, growing out of the ground products. Like that's just silly to me. I should at least try my own products first and see, you know, what comes of that. And so Slade and I talked about it and he was like, yes, absolutely. And I say that because I was still breastfeeding and I still was weird about even putting anything in my body because I didn't want it to go to sky and affect her in any way. So I ended up taking, um, uh, my CBD daily and my limitless and no joke within three days, I literally had my joy back. I felt like a completely different new person. I, I just, I, it was one of those things where the products, I, I actually believe the products are what helped me get pregnant from the very beginning. Cause I started taking those right before we did the implantation about five or six months before the implantation. And I, I feel like they did that, but like, I really, it was one of those moments where I was like, I cannot believe how much these products literally like got me out of my postpartum. Like I was, I was kind of shocked and I was just like, I, I didn't know that they would do that. But the reason that they do that, or I believe that that happened for me is because it, when you're taking these CBD products, they are balancing um, your endocannabinoid system. And so it allows your own body to start to heal itself and start to bring your own body back into balance. And it started to, you know, level off my hormone levels and get me back to a mental state where I could like compartmentalize and focus and be happy again. And, and the endorphins were, were working correctly again. And it's like, it was healing my body naturally with natural based products. And so I'm just so grateful for that, that I did that and I didn't go the pharmaceutical route. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of people that use the pharmaceutical drugs. And I think that, thank God we have pharmaceutical drugs because there's so many people that benefit from it. But for me personally, it just was a decision that I was really struggling with. And so I was so grateful that I had found, you know, that the CBD products worked for me. So after all that, it wasn't until about seven or eight months that I started to feel like a human again. I started to feel like myself again, that the weight started to come off. I started to see the weight finally start to come off at about nine months. Um, we had a product called CBD Lean. So I was taking that consistently and I felt like that was really helping too. So it was just like a combination of all these things. And it, and it wasn't, I, this is so crazy, but it really wasn't until right around the year mark that I started to be like, okay. I'm good. Like Gretchen's back. I feel like a human again. I, I am figuring out how to like bob and weave and deal with having a baby in my life now. <laughs> and of course now it's like the, you know, most amazing, wonderful, joyous thing. And she is so full of life and she's so amazing. But I mean, it was a very rough year for me. I, I had, it was probably one of the rougher years ever for me going through all of those emotions. Now for me too, not, I had two other added layers to this whole situation. I had um, a C-section, which that doesn't naturally allow your body to go through the birthing um, process, which certain hormones are released certain ways or whatever. So that is like a shock to your system. I had obviously major abdominal surgery um, and I've never had any surgery in my life. A lot of people think I've had a lot of plastic surgery. I haven't. I've never even had my boobs done. So that was really hard on me because I've never had any sort of surgery like that. And then I also had gone through four years of IVF. So my body w went through so much for four 
years of injecting myself of these hormones. And so I think that's part of the reason that it took so long to get, you know, the weight off and for my body to readjust and all this stuff. I, I put myself through a lot. Well, first off, like, you know, as I always say, <laughs> women are super women, like, like, listen to your story, like, holy crap. And I really love that you shared like so much of, of that and said, like, this is a long answer, because I think like, that defines motherhood, like there is no one simple answer. Everyone's experience is different. Everything is so intense. And how you shared about it took you to like basically a year or more to get back to somewhat of who you were. I felt the exact same way. Like I suffered very heavily like you. I also found help in CBD products when I didn't want to take pharmaceutical drugs because I like to do things more naturally personally. And I love that you gave yourself that permission to say, okay, this isn't working. Something needs to give how am I going to do right by myself and by Slade and by Skylar and by everything else? And I think that's one of the hardest moments for moms that go through postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or all levels of it and sit there and say like, what is wrong with me? And like, why can't I do this? And why can't I handle that? Cause I know for me, it was mm-hmm. all shame, all guilt. Like I could not, I couldn't like understand one, why I was experiencing this two, how like right. I, supposed to function three like what is wrong with me you know and I I feel for you with the c-section because obviously with Amelia I had a c-section and I felt the same way it was like out of control my body was just like this thing I didn't understand anymore I immediately like got into this mm-hmm. dark place and it's so interesting because I've shared this story with so many people and so many people have had c-sections have also shared very similar feelings to yours and not saying it's like only a c-section but I do wonder if like that does play a big part. Well, what's interesting is um, for me in particular, we made the decision to have the C-section 24 hours before it happened. So I, I had no intention of having a C-section. And of course, we all have our birth plan, if you will. And, you know, if I give any advice to any woman out there listening, take your birth plan and throw it away. <laughs> Meaning, have a birth plan, like have your birth plan. I think that's okay totally have it, but don't become so attached to it that when it changes, you like break. You know what I mean? Because I, I cannot even tell you the emotions that I went through because I was high risk. I had to go in every other day for the last two weeks of the pregnancy um, and get monitored. We had to do this 20 minute monitoring heart rate, da, 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 da stuff. I had to get all strapped up and do this whole thing. Because, and I was considered high risk. And for those of out there that don't know, when you are um, typically when you're 35 years age or above, you're considered geriatric pregnancy, which was like already an awesome feeling. You're like, great, I'm a geriatric already. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so they can, they call it a geriatric pregnancy. The nicer term is high risk pregnancy. And um, there's, depending on your doctor, there's certain requirements that they want you to do. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't know a lot of the stuff. I already knew I was on high risk because of just the IVF and the, all of that and being a little bit older, but I didn't realize there was going to be all these extra tests and all these things. So the, um, so like, let's see, it was two weeks before everything was fine. Her head was down. Everything was going great. And we're in one of the appointments and all of a sudden she flips around and she's breached. And I was like, wait, what? And I remember just like laying on that table when the girl told me, and I am just like crying because I was scared to death of surgery because as I mentioned, I'd never had any surgery. 
And so I was just like, oh my gosh, I had one time in my life had an epidural because of my back issues that I had. And it was the worst thing that I've ever been through. It's like, it's like that story where they say that you're, you're supposed to be asleep during like a surgery, but you're still awake and you feel everything. Like that's what happened to me. And I literally had major like PTSD to the point where my doctor had to have me go in beforehand and sit down with the anesthesiologist and their team and like talk about what was going to happen because I would literally break out in hives and sweat when I like started to talk about it. So it was like really traumatic for me. So I didn't want to, the epidural was scaring me so bad. All of it, like just all of it was scaring me. So well, it's a major um, surgery and it's a major, you know, not to be like yeah. you know, rude, but it's like, I say this to people all the time, like, you know, because I've now had both kinds of births, like they, they cut into you and you have a major abdominal surgery. Yes. These are yeah. for a reason. Yes. They are a blessing because a lot of people have to have their babies that way, but let's not kid ourselves and say, Oh, you just cut the baby out. No big deal. Like it's a major surgery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I actually really didn't understand how, how bad of it, like how major of a surgery it was until after the fact, because I didn't want, I didn't want to like fill my brain with like everything that was going to go on during it. Because once we decided, um, well, my doctor was very strict about, I couldn't go past 39 weeks. And she told me this at 36 weeks. And I was like, wait, what? Cause again, I thought I was going to have this baby naturally and, you know, vaginally and all this stuff. And so when she all of a sudden said, if you go past the 39 weeks, we're going to have to go in and, and induce. And I was like, wait, what? Like I was so confused. And I was like, why? And according to her, she said that when you are a high risk pregnancy and when you're of a certain age, she has seen way too many statistics and the numbers were really high that sometimes when you go past 39 weeks, um, the chances of having stillborn are much higher. And I was like, Oh my God. So like, there's all these things that are playing in your head. You know, you're already so nervous to be a mom. You're already so nervous to go to surgery or, you know, have the baby and all stuff. And then you have like this whole other layer. And it's like, it took me so long to have to get the baby and be pregnant and going through the whole pregnancy, which thank God, at least my pregnancy was wonderful. But then, you know, then you get thrown this information and you're just like, Oh my gosh. So I, so what happened was right at, the 39 weeks, I went in to get tested to see if I was dilated at all. I was zero, like not even like a little bit. And the test that they had to do um, to see if I was any dilator where I was at was so incredibly painful for me that I, that the doctor that did it called my doctor and was like, yeah, she can't do this. Like she, there's no way she's going to be able to have a baby vaginally. Like it's not going to happen. (laughs) And so my doctor called me and she was like, she goes, we're going to have to induce you. And she goes, and the procedure you had done today is going to happen again. And it's going to be for like seven minutes, that pain that you felt today. And I was like, I will die if you make me go through that pain that I went through today for seven minutes. Like it will not happen. And she was like, and then she goes, then you might be induced and then you might labor for three days. And then we might still have to do like an emergency C-section. And I was like, wait, what? So it was so like traumatic for me. And it was such a hard decision because I did not want to do a C-section. But after all the stuff and, you know, going through all the options, Slade and I decided 24 hours before I was supposed to be induced that we were just going to do the C-section. Instead, we felt like that was the best birth option for us and our scenario. And 
it was really hard on me because I just didn't, that was not my plan. So I, that's why I suggest to all the moms out there or to all the people that are pregnant or having a baby, like have a birth plan, know what you're, what you would like to have happen, but don't hold on to it so tightly that when it changes, you, you, you just like short circuit and you don't know what to do because with birth, things are going to change by the minute. Oh my gosh. By the second. And thank you for saying that. And I just got chills and I know like you're, you know, a very um, big believer with everything of the universe. It's 11, 11. And I'm like, wow, you just gave such a powerful yeah. message because it's, oh, wow. it's like, you know, it's just like, it, it's just such a powerful message for women because we do, we have come up with these birth plans and these whole ideas and we write everything out. We become married to it. Same with me with Amelia. And you don't realize how devastating it becomes when that birth plan changes and you look at these other births, especially online, and you go, well, they had it this way and they had it that way. But it's like everyone's circumstance is so different and it just can affect you so much yeah. in your mind. And so thank you for being so real about how hard that struggle was for you, how that birth you had to truly let go and surrender, you know, how that postpartum depression played out yeah. for you, all those things and all the things you had to do to do the work, Gretchen, to get to where you are now. And so transitioning to where you are now, you know, you're 15 months out, you know, you're feeling pretty good. You're doing all these amazing things, in your business, you have this podcast, like, you know, how do you feel like from looking at that and telling that story and where you are now, like, how does that feel? Like, can you, can you believe that you're now doing all these things, including being an amazing mom to Sky? <laughs> I love, I love the way you pose that question. It's funny because I don't feel like I'm doing any one of them great. You know what I mean? Like you don't, you, you never feel like you're doing I mean, that's not true. I do feel like I'm a great mom and I am proud of that. But you, you definitely have those days that you're like, oh my gosh, like I wish I spent more time with her or, you know, I had to run out the door for a meeting and she was like crying or, you know, like that mom guilt will forever and always be there, especially when you're a working mom. That's like a really tough thing. Um, you know, but I, but I, at the same time, I have to honor the fact that, um, you know, I don't think I would ever be really, I don't, I also don't think I would be a really good mom if I was just a full-time stay-at-home mom, because I find so much pride and joy in, in my work and in being successful. And I feel like it's a great example for Sky. So, you know, again, us as mothers just really need to give ourselves grace and we really need to just, you know, not completely lose all of our identity in our children and still be able to, um, find that balance of what makes us happy and what makes us flourish and what makes us grow and evolve as humans. And if we honor that, that allows our children to see that and, um, you know, learn from that as well and look up to that and inspire to be like that as well. And by the way, that is for with anything you decide to do, whether that's your full-time stay-at-home mom and that is your job, which by the way, by far is the hardest job ever. And <laughs> Um, or if you are outside the home or inside the home working or whatever your situation is, just own that a hundred percent and, and know that like whatever decision that you're making, be that example to your child and know that that's, that they're watching you and they're seeing everything you're doing. Well, I love that message because it's, it's so true. Like, and I, and I love also that you said, like you had to find the things that like made you passionate again, that made you Gretchen, because I think there is 
for so many moms, this loss of identity, I know for me, it was very much there for over a year. And it was so hard for me to look in the mirror and not cry, not just at the image of myself, but just at the actual in my mind, right. of like, who am I? Who is this? Like, you, this is not Allie. And now it's like, thank God, fast forward to two girls, I feel more empowered and inspired and everything and ever, which I have no idea how because I'm always exhausted. But <laughs> It's almost like I learned from that first birth. I learned all the things that you shared. And I learned, yeah. that like, it, you know, like, like Slade has said to you, it's a moment in time. And, like, you do, those moments go so fast. And you do learn in them. You do become stronger. And you do become more resilient. But you don't know it when you're in it. And it does feel, you know, so heavy and dark yeah. until you get to that other side. But good for you for saying, I need to pour back into my own cup. I need to be able to do these jobs. I need to be able to be in these places so that I feel like me. And so is that how the podcast started? Like the podcast is so good. I'm so curious. Like, did you always want to have a podcast? Aww. That's so sweet. Thank you. You know, I, um, no, I, the answer is no. <laughs> um, <laughs> what ended up happening? Um, it really was our fans for ever since we left housewives, our fans have just been asking for us to do really anything, you know, do another show, do this, do that. And we have been approached several times about shows and about opportunities. And, you know, the truth is, is that, you know, Slade and I, first of all, we weren't ever really sure if we wanted to go back into reality TV. We, we did a couple, you know, things here and there and they were fun to do and they were kind of campy and they weren't like long-term contracts that you're like stuck in and you're like, what did I get myself into? So those sort of things have been really fun to still do and kind of touch base with, with the fans every now and again. But, you know, doing actually like our own show and doing all that stuff, we just really weren't sure that we wanted to open ourselves back up to that type of scrutiny and that type of, you know, heartache. Cause really the show did bring a lot of that for us. Um, and, and I think for us in particular, we struggled because our integrity means so much to us. And, and the fact that the show could make you look just so bad and be so opposite of who you are, um, that weighed heavy on us. We didn't like that. You know, we're both, Christian people, we both um, are spiritual people. We both take, like I said, a lot of pride in, in who we are as business people and, and um, our integrity. And so the fact that every week, you know, somebody can make up a lie about you and then the audience believes it. And then it's like going around the world that like, you're a deadbeat dad or you're a, you know, whatever, your business is crap or whatever that they would come up with you or you're cheating on your dying fiance, just all the stuff that was you know, made up about us or played in my relationship is fake and made for TV. Like it just got exhausting over time. So, um, so, and I totally sidetracked again, but the point is, is that for years, the, the audience is really the ones that have been asking for something. And we, Slade and I, when we would go do interviews together, we would be together. People would always just compliment our dynamic. They would always just say the two of you together are so funny and so fun and real and this and that and the other. And so we were doing a show. We, we, um, the doctors followed our journey um, for five years of our IVF story. And we became obviously good friends with that production company. It's Dr. Phil's production company and Jay McGraw. And, um, and so they got to see who we were and this dynamic between us. And so for a long time, they were wanting to do something with us, but we just, you know, nothing really came to fruition about, you know, the things that they were throwing out at the table with us. And then they decided to open um, a podcast, you know, entity to their production company. And then they approached us about that. And we were like, 
now that's something that, you know, we could get on board with. Like, that sounds really exciting. That's really fun. And so when I threw it out to the audience, everyone's like, yes, yes, yes. Like, we want a podcast for you guys. That would be amazing. So that's really how it came to fruition. I didn't ever sit around and go, I want a podcast. Blade used to um, be the afternoon drive on 94.7. No, I lied. I forget what station it was, but it was some station. And he was so good at being a radio host. I mean, he really just was really talented at it. So I already knew he had, um, as they say, a voice for radio. Um, And so he was really good at it already. And then him and I just, we always always have pillow talk at night. So for hours we sit there and like we talk and we just, we always have so much fun like chatting and talking. And then we've for years had so many people come over to our home and ask advice from us. And they used to sit on our, we called it the big red couch and they would like get therapy from us from the big red couch. And, um, and so we just thought, you know what, we should share our experiences, the stuff we've been through, just have it be a really raw and real podcast where you know it wasn't we didn't want it to be housewife centered we didn't want it to be egocentric in that way we just we we didn't want it to be all about us we really wanted to be real life stories of people coming to the table that could share stuff that was going on that could really help other people and we wanted it to then the reason we called it not too taboo is we really wanted um, to talk about the taboo sub- subjects. Like there's a lot of things that people are, are scared to talk about or aren't willing to talk about, like the story I just shared with you. A lot of people don't want to talk about those things because they're hard to talk about. They're embarrassed or whatever. So we just really thought that that title was fitting for, you know, the concept of what we wanted to do with it. So that's how that came about. Well, I love that. And I mean, like, I totally understand, you know, obviously with everything you went through in reality and obviously knowing you in Slate in real life for so long now and knowing how wonderful of people you are and a couple you are and how inspiring you both are. Like, I'm, I can't even imagine how hard it is to be beat down by the reality world. I got a glimpse of it when I was on my thing. And I mean, it's so intense. And I, so for what you went through, I can't imagine, but like, I love that you are doing this show. And like you said, you're kind of breaking down these walls and being like, Hey, this is us for real without all the reality BS and cameras. And like, we're going to talk about everything that maybe people don't want to talk about, which like, honestly kind of inspired my show too. It's like, I wanted to talk about it first, my postpartum depression, because nobody wanted to talk about that. And it's like, why can't we give ourselves permission to be real and raw and be vulnerable and like, talk about these things other than like our pretty homes or, you know, that amazing, you know, event we went to. And I kind of feel like this time right now in COVID and the pandemic and everything has taught a lot of us that. And I want to ask you, Gretchen, like, how did you feel like you shifted and like, how has it been for you with everything? So we're both kind of in the same space as far as being in lockdown in California. How has it been for you? Like, how have you adjusted? Like, do, do you feel like, you know, you've learned anything? Like, what has this experience been like for you? Well, um, you know, if, I, if I'm being quite honest, the, the COVID aspect of it didn't really affect our day-to-day life. And I say that because thankfully and luckily, you know, Slade and I are, are both entrepreneurs. We own our own businesses. And so we were able to work from home. Yes, we did have an office um, that we could go into. And obviously we weren't doing that anymore because of um, everything going on, you know, just all the rules and regulations of what could be open or what couldn't be open or how many people in the office building, yada, yada, yada. Um, but, you know, we, a majority of the time did already work from home. Um, and, you know, we set up our lives 
that way so that we could be working from home. And we, we really especially did that um, focused on wanting to have a family. And we just knew that we wanted to, at least for the first two years of Sky's life, be home with her. So from that standpoint, it, that didn't affect us a ton that way. Now, our social life and our, you know, going to events and going out and all of that, that obviously drastically changed. And that was a huge you know, shift in, in everything. And so I think just like everybody else in the country, it's like you go through a period of like, you're really scared at the very beginning. And I, you know, for me, we had this newborn basically, because I think she was seven months, seven or eight months when it first started or whatever. And I, like, I was crazy mom, like literally like not one box could come in the house. Everything had to stay outside. If a box was getting delivered, the box had to be opened outside. I had life solved the box. When I opened it up, anything that was inside, I scrubbed it down. Every single piece of grocery that came in, it took me an hour just to, to scrub the groceries down. Like, I was crazy mom. And I think this happens, I mean, you see the commercial on TV <laughs> where it's the mom's, like, first baby, and she's, like, interviewing the babysitter, and she's like, um, oh, you don't have a PhD? Okay, this isn't going to work out. And then, like, the second baby, this girl shows up at the front door with, like, purple hair and a nose ring, and she's like, here's the baby. I got to go. You know, and, like, she doesn't care. And it's like, that's literally, like, what I felt like, is I felt like I was this psycho first-time mom with, like, this new baby, and I was like, I'm not going to let one germ touch this baby. And I was, like, so freaked out. Um, but, you know, obviously I got over that as time went on and we learned more about, you know, what was happening and all of that. So we went through the whole, I'm scared. And then we went through a little bit of the depression of like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. This is like the new normal. And then Slade really wasn't allowing me or Sky to be outside, meaning going to the grocery store, going to, you know, pick anything up. He just didn't want us to expose ourselves to anything. So he's the one that did it for close to four months. And so like, I didn't go out, like it was weird. Like I would go outside for a walk with Sky and like do stuff, but we didn't do anything. So, um, so that part was hard. And I think also like I had this vision of Sky. I wanted, cause I didn't put her in class, um, uh, during winter because of how sick all the kids are during that time. But I had this vision of her starting her first, you know, mommy and me classes in springtime and like none of that happened. And so that was a little sad. Like you kind of feel like, oh my gosh, and I still am hesitant to even want to put her back in any of those classes or do anything with her now because of how, you know, scary and, and real this whole thing is. And, and you're not going to believe this. I mean, you're going to believe this. But so the first time, first time since the pandemic happened, we last Friday went to Target me as a family. It was a family outing. We hadn't gone out and done any of these things together. We decide, okay, we're going to Target. We need to get Sky out of the house. She's going a little stir crazy. So we're like, we'll take her to Target. She'll have a heyday there. We go to Target. She just is a pickle. Like she will not sit in her stroller. She just wants to get down on the floor. She wants to run down all the aisles and take everything off all the shelves. I mean, she's just like a pickle. So finally, so it's like, I know, let's just put her in the cart, like in the front of the cart of the target cart. And we'll like, let her, you know, stand there and look at everything. And I was like, Oh, good idea. So we put her there. She's the happiest camper ever. She's waving, like, she's literally like the target greeter waving at everybody. Everyone's like, Oh my God, she's so cute. That, that was Friday that night. She's projectile throwing up. Oh my okay. God. Like, yeah. Talk about mommy guilt. I was hysterical like we were up all night 
for three nights straight, she's projectile throwing up. We woke up Saturday morning to this child of ours in the crib with um, shit all over her face, all over the crib. She had taken off her diaper and was playing in her poop. Okay. Like I, we, I, I can't even tell you, it was the worst three days of our life with this child this last weekend. The good news is, is that it turned out not to be any flu situation. We, after we like went through everything in our head, unfortunately we were, um, uh, Saturday, Friday afternoon, we had given her probably too rich of foods. And it was the first time that she's had more like, if you will, like adult food. I had some salmon that afternoon. She really wanted the salmon. And so I gave her that and I was, and I was thinking to myself, I don't know if she should eat this yet. And she had the salmon and she loved it. Like she was just eating it up. But looking back, I think there was like probably too much butter in it or too much stuff in it. And then I didn't know, but Slade, when he was eating later in the afternoon, he'd given her like a couple bites of his pasta dish that he had. And so we think that she actually just got like a little bit of a stomach thing. Like like she got like upset from the food and her body was just like, that was way too rich of foods because she didn't have any other symptoms. She didn't have a fever. She wasn't like lethargic. She wasn't groggy. She wasn't like sad and like feeling, you know, sick. You know what I mean? Like she would throw up and then she'd be like, yeah, let's go play. This is fun. You know what I mean? So, um, but you can imagine like the mom guilt that kicks in. You're like, and of course, the one time I take her to freaking Target, she's like throwing up sick. So that was very hectic. So that's my very long pandemic story. <laughs> you know? oh, I mean, that's the realness of it, right? I'm glad she's doing better and I'm, I'm glad that she's okay. But like, I'm sure that you were like, oh my God, did she catch something? What's happening? Like, it's scary. I totally oh. understand. Like, I've barely been out with the girls and we've been in this now for like, what, over six months? And like, Justin does the same thing like a slate. He does the groceries. He does most of the stuff. I go out little bits here and there, but like, very little. I'm afraid to take the girl, especially because Arlie's still technically like newborn infant stage. Yeah. It's like, it is yep. it's a very scary time, but at the same time, you have to like keep your sanity and not feel like you're just in your home, like in a bubble. Like I know we're safe at home, but at the same time, like, let's be real. It's all affecting us. And it's like, oh yeah. my gosh, am I going to get off of Zoom? Am I going to get out of my house? And it's like, my biggest thing is just like yeah. walks and taking the girls on walks. And it's like, I totally feel for you because I haven't taken the girls like that yet. And like, for you to go and be that vulnerable and go do something at Target and then for her to get sick, like you must've been like, holy shit, what happened? Oh my God. I was freaking out so bad. And like, you know, and I'm, I'm also that mom. Thank God for Slay because we've had two other kids before this. So he like, you know, doesn't freak out on things, but because this happened at 12 o'clock on Friday night and I hear Slade like do bloody murder, like scream from the room. And he's like, Gretchen. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I didn't understand like what was happening. So I get up and I run. Cause normally he goes in at 12 if she's crying and he'll like um, just rub her butt or whatever. And she'll go back to sleep. So I hear him like scream. And so I like jump out of bed. I run over there and he's holding her out like from his chest and he has throw up all over him it's all over her she's screaming crying and I'm like oh my god like what that like we were just like so discombobulated we didn't know what's happening I immediately get in the bathtub with her she's screaming bloody murder I think she scared her more than anything and I'm I'm trying to calm her down getting all the throw up off Slade has to get in physically in the shower um and you know I'm, I'm so I'm laying in the bathtub with her I'm holding her like against my chest she's just crying she's just so upset 
finally like calm her down, get, we have to change all the sheets, like the whole thing. So then like we go through this crazy thing. She wakes up three or four more times during the night because I think her tummy was just really upset. You could actually hear her tummy like gurgling and like all that. So we just didn't sleep at all. Finally, I think we get her down to like sleep at like 530 in the morning. And then the exact same thing happened at six, like 45. I hear him just like scurrying, Gretchen. And I come over and I run across the hallway and there he is holding her. But this time she has poop all over her. Like what the world is happening. So yeah, I mean, it's funny now because now we know she isn't sick or doesn't have COVID or anything like that. But of course, like all of those things that like, I'm sitting in the bathtub with her, like holding her, like crying myself going, Oh my God, like, what if she has COVID? What if she's like really deathly sick? Like what, you know, just all these things are going through your mind. And, and we even had a little mask that was made for her and she's really good about wearing it. So it's like she had the mask on the whole thing. Like we didn't know. And the second we got out of target, like we took the, the wipes and wiped her hands off and like all the stuff. Right. So like we felt like we had done everything that we possibly could to protect her. But also like, you know, we're talking about, like, also, there's just a point where you're like, okay, I've got to live my life. Like, I can't just stay, you know, in prison in my house and never go out again in my life. You know what I mean? And so, um, so it was, yeah, it was definitely, there was a moment there that I was very scared and I didn't know really what to do because I was just like, do we call the doctor right now? Do we go in? Do we do a test? Do we do, you know, I mean, it was, it was really scary. And, and then she, but what was odd is she was, so like when she woke up playing in her poop, she was happy as a clam, like just having fun. <laughs> and then try to get back in the bathtub with her again. And, you know, I didn't shower for like two days because I was just taking constant baths with her and, and dealing with her. But then on Saturday, she was happy all day, like playing great, no problem, didn't throw up, didn't have a fever, nothing. And then all of a sudden the exact same thing happened that night at like 12 o'clock projectile throughout everywhere. And then the same thing happened on Sunday night, like this. And, and Sunday night was more about like five o'clock that that happened, but it was just really strange. We were like, what is going on? Like, what, like we couldn't figure out what it actually was. And still, I guess, technically to this point, we don't really know, but because she didn't have any other symptoms, we assume that she, um, that it was just really like some food that got her in her stomach or something. And, and I actually even thought about this too, like, maybe she has like an allergic thing with fish because the one thing that we did give her was the salmon. And so I thought maybe like she's having like a, a serious allergic reaction to like fish or something, which kind of scary too. Right. Well, it's like, and with, so. with kids, right. Like with babies, kittens, like you just never know. Like, it's like, you just, a lot of it is trial and error and it's just learning. And I love that you shared like, Hey, we were covered in poop and covered in throw up. And like, that's, that's like, you know, parenthood, motherhood in a nutshell. Like there's so many times where I'm covered and I have, you know, poop on me and breast milk and, yeah. and dirt. And it's like, Oh, well, this is me. This is my life. And I think it's like the more we can laugh about it, like we are here and the more we can just say like, it's literally a shit show, the more you feel less alone, yes. the more you feel like, okay, it's okay. But hey, listen, you might be covered in, <laughs> in poop, but you're still killing it as an entrepreneur doing, you know, your podcast, doing everything with bio rains, you know, as part of your company now working with Monet. Can you tell us a little bit about like, you know, you decided to take on this new venture with Monet with hair and selling it and also helping other mamas that can join to make money. I mean, you're working on so many different businesses, like, you know, share that with us. 
So, you know, the whole Monet thing really came about organically. I um, had no intention of ever, like, getting involved with that on the business side. Like you said, I didn't really necessarily need to add another business to my already long list of businesses and (laughs) stuff that we have going on. Um, But it was interesting because during quarantine, I had a girlfriend um, come by and drop off a box of these products. Now, I have been literally approached by people to try these products for years. And, um, you know, just random like fans on social media or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like my products by, you know, and I like really just didn't have any interest. Well, it was interesting because when my friend came by and dropped off the box, she's like, trust me, you're going to want these products. And I was like, why? And she's like, cause you're going to start to notice your hair. Like is just not the same. And I was like, what are you talking about? My hair's fine. And, and she was, and it wasn't, it wasn't really that my hair was fine. It was, it was, my hair had definitely been damaged very badly from housewives. I had extensions in, I had, um, uh, you know, so much styling, so many things done. So my hair definitely wasn't what it used to be, but I also was just like, what are you talking about? Well, she was talking about the postpartum hair loss and all the stuff that starts to happen. I hadn't quite experienced that, that yet. And then it was so strange because I remember just like, a, a few days after I was like washing my hair, I started seeing all these, like, I guess you would call it like breakage around like the crown of your head. And I remember a couple girlfriends from Texas telling me about, they got these bald spots, like in that space. And they would always warn me. They'd be like, Oh, can't wait for the like postpartum hair loss. And I'm like, what? And so um, I started noticing this really bad around the crown of my head. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like it's happening to me. Like my hair is like breaking off. My hair was becoming so brittle. And, and, you know, you got to remember, I think that during my uh, pregnancy journey, I was being pumped of all these hormones. So my hair actually got really like um, thick and nice because I was getting these hormones pumped into me from the IVF. So when it all of a sudden started like just becoming so brittle and, and didn't have the same like luster to it and all this stuff, I was just like, wait, what is happening to my hair? And, um, and so I started using the intense repair treatment just around the crown of my head during quarantine. And I thought, you know what, what the heck, I can use these products now because I'm not like doing photo shoots or doing anything where if I don't like the way that my hair is like, um, styling or, you know, responding to these products, I don't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have anything that I had to do. I'll try these during this. No joke. Like two months in, I was just like, holy hell, like, what are these products? Like, what's in here? Like, is there some super juice or something in there? Because all of those little, like, broken off pieces around the crown of my head started growing back and, like, really doing really well. And then I was using this oil treatment and my hair was just so much, like, so full of, like, shine and so much more, like, it didn't have that brittle feeling anymore. And it just, I felt like my hair had you know, you know, like when um, you go and get Botox and you just feel so much better and you just don't feel like old and wrinkly <laughs> yes. and crinkly or you feel like a whole but you see these people get, Yes. Yeah. Or you get like a facial and you're like, oh my God, my skin's so amazing or whatever. It was like, that's what had happened for my hair. It's like, I felt like I had gone and got like a facelift for my hair. And so, um, and so I just started like talking to my girlfriend. I was just like, like literally what is in these products and she's like that's the thing they're like totally 100 percent natural they're toxin free all this stuff and I was like well that's interesting because I became very like aware of that during my pregnancy too and that was the reason that I was using a certain hair care line during during my pregnancy was because I didn't want the toxins anymore and like all that stuff and so 
then my friend, um, you know, I kept seeing all these things on her social media where she was like having these wine parties and like doing all these fun things. And I was just like, girl, why am I not being invited to like your cool stuff? Like I thought we're friends. And she was like, oh, she's like, no, it's not like that. She's like, this is for my business. This is for my group of girls from my business. And I was like, what do you mean? So she's like with Monet. And I was like, oh, I was like, yeah, I know there's a business side to it. But like, wh- why are you guys having so much fun? Like, <laughs> I want to come join the fun. And so it was really kind of one of those things where I, I think I was more like a little jealous of the fun. And so um, she actually got me on the phone with her upline um, with this gal by the name of Connie. And Connie sat down and started talking to me about the business side of things. And she was telling me, you know, the, the, um, uh, just the, the comp plan and what they offered and like all this stuff. And I was like, wow, I was like, that's kind of amazing. And then she, um, she started talking to me about the research and about the clinical studies and about the awards they've won and about all this stuff. And so it really just made me go, wow, this isn't just like another one of those, you know, um, social selling MLM things that, you know, like, Oh, just buy the, like, I didn't feel like it was one of those, one of those companies. And because there was just so much um, research and, you know, awards that they were winning and, you know, they were, they were now an $80 billion company or something crazy like that. And they had 1.2 million VIP customers. And I'm like, okay, they're, they're like, there's no way that this company would have that much and that many customers um, and I'm not talking market partners. I'm talking actual customers using the product. 1.2 million customers, which now it's up to 1.4 customers using the product if these products weren't good. Like no one's going to keep buying products if they're not actually transforming your hair and making it look good. So what happened for me was I first personally used them, enjoyed the results from them so much that it, it caused me to look at the business side of it. And of course, I'm a businesswoman. So when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's great. And for years, again, I've had so many people reaching out to me on social media and saying, can I work with you? Can I work with Gretchen Christine? Can we, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? So I saw it as an opportunity to, um, to give my fans and, uh, uh, and my audience something for them to do for themselves and something where they could actually work with me and, you know, learn business skills from me and get to interact with me and something that they have been asking me for years to do. And, um, and obviously for me too, it, it's another stream of income from, for us and our family, obviously. And the truth is, is I was using the hair care products already. And, you know, logically for me, I'm like, okay, I could spend the money buying the products at full retail. I could become a VIP customer, actually save money buying the products, or I could um, share the products with my friends and family and make money. Okay, let's see, I'm a business person. Okay, I'll share the products and make money. You know what I mean? Because I'm <laughs> using them anyways. So might as well be smart about it and be in a position where if I'm going to share these, I might as well, um, you know, create the business from it. So that's why I ended up joining myself. Um, and it's just been so fun to be a part of this group of women. These women and I really was very strategic and, you know, I, it took me actually a couple months to actually go and jump in on the business side. And the reason for that is because I really wanted to make sure I knew who my upline was and I knew who was going to be like my mentor in the business. Cause I had no clue about this business. Like I didn't understand it. I didn't really get it that much. Um, bio range has an aspect of it, of that as well, but I don't work that side of the business. Um, I just really believe in the products and I share that, but, um, but so I don't, I did I haven't really ever been in that space, the social selling space. 
Um, but as I started reading more about social selling and, and the way that the world was going and everything that happened during quarantine and like so many people were reaching out and there were so many sad stories of people losing their jobs and going on furlough and like all this. And I kept seeing these girls in this company excelling and making more money and doing more. And then they had their biggest month that they've had in the six years young that they've been in business. Um, in August, and the, August is always the worst month for many companies out there, but in particular for Monet, that was that has always been um, historically their worst month, and this last August was their biggest month that they've ever had, and during quarantine, they increased by 700%, and so you just wow. kind of sit there and you go, okay, am I missing the boat on this? Like, what's happening, you know, and, and as we know, you know, everything in the space of business has completely, you know, turned upside down and shifted. And all of our brick and mortar stores, you know, you just see so many of them went out of business. And sadly, so many small businesses went out of business because they couldn't survive this quarantine. They couldn't survive what was going on. And a lot of these brick and mortar stores turned into e-commerce sites. And so e-commerce is really what's happening right now in our world. And um, you know, you're either on the boat or you miss the boat. And so it was one of those things where I was like, you know what, this company is doing some amazing things. Um, when I got to learn about the heartbeat of Monet and the way that they give back to the community and that their whole philosophy is gratitude and giving back and helping other people. And then I met the community of, of men and women. And for me, it was just so amazing to have this group of Christian women that really like empowered each other that literally were praying over your business. Like I've never had that in any corporate setting, any business I've ever been a part of. I have never had other women literally like praying over me in my business. And so um, it was just truly incredible. And you can just feel the spirit of um, camaraderie and honestly, God, at least in my upline, maybe not everybody in the company, it has that philosophy, but our upline has that. And it was just really inspiring. You know, I came from a world of housewives where it was like, tear each other down, tell, you know, go on national television and say that their business is stopped and they're failing and they're this and they're that. And, you know, it was just so refreshing and so rewarding to know that not only I was fixing my own hair and feeling good and and liking, you know, my hair again, but then I was doing that for other people. And then on top of it, people were able to have this, you know, financial freedom or have the side income or whatever they, level they wanted to take it to, they could. And a lot of the girls that are part of my team, um, you know, they have, they were furloughed or they lost their jobs or whatever. And they're literally like sending me these messages going, Oh my God, thank God. Had it not been for you presenting this opportunity, I wouldn't be in my apartment anymore. I wouldn't be here anymore or whatever it is, you know, or, or I would have not been able to pay for my car anymore or whatever their situation is. It's like they're finding um, some hope in this business. So that's just been like a really random uh, blessing that's come from this that I never anticipated that would happen. You know what I mean? So it was cool. It was, it was, I was searching for or anything I was looking for it just kind of organically happened for me but that's so I love that because like I think that when things are meant to align and things happen they just do and I love that you shared that I think there's so many people like I know myself like I've been approached about 
these kinds of things a million times and you do wonder like, oh, MLM, maybe not. Oh, I don't know if I want to be someone who's selling, but like how you just explained it and described it of like how beautiful, not only do the products work, but you're making others feel good. You're helping other moms get back on their feet, especially in these times like where most of us, you know, have had income change or lost jobs. Like I know I have and all these things. It's like so important to give back like that, but then also to like really have you know, that foundation and community around you. I think that's so incredible. And so to that note, Gretchen, I know we have to wrap things up here soon, but I want to get to real fast. You know, you, Slate is now a part of this Liberace Foundation with helping save the children. I know this is something you and I are heavily focused on, especially during this time and have really been getting loud on social about child trafficking and saving the children and how important it is to both of us as mothers to protect children that are not our own, especially. Can you share with us a little bit about what this foundation is and what it means for Slade and I'm sure part of you to be involved? Well, so I don't know, I might be totally wrong, but I don't know if the Liberace Foundation is necessarily involved with Save the Children, but I might be wrong because I, I don't talk to Slade every single day about everything that's going on in his businesses. But what I do know is that he was honored with um, being um, on the board of the Liberace Foundation from the Consulate of Monaco. Um, the Consulate of Monaco and him had met several years back and they've um, remained friends and they've been um, you know, in contact. He's actually out of Vegas now. Um, and he, um, he offered this position to Slade recently. And um, it was just really a, a huge honor. We got to go out to Las Vegas and go to um, what was called Thriller Villa, where all of the artifacts and all of the um, show pieces and so many of Liberace's um, pieces are out there. And it was just like so incredible to be able to go into that location and see all of those, um, those incredible pieces and see like this, you know, amazing part of history. Um, so, but in reference to like, save the children I, maybe they're doing something with their foundation I that I'm unaware of at this moment but the save the children side of things that I've been actively speaking about or vocal about has been in response to the foundation called our foundation O-U-R and that is truly um, the foundation that is about saving the children that are being sex trafficked um, and the owner um, and CEO of that is a guy by the name of Tim Ballard, who many know who Tim Ballard is, but he yes, is he was on my show. Um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually coming on our show next week. So he's really just an amazing person. We did the screening for the sound of freedom, the, the movie that um, they created about him. So if then your audience probably already knows who he is, if he was on your show, but he, so that's the, that's the foundation that I've been more actively involved in and doing things with him. Um, and that is, you know, the sad part about the whole thing is, you know, once you get involved in it and once you, you know, see what's going on, you can't ever unsee it and you can't ever, you know, stick your head in the sand again. Like it's just, it's so, it's so horrific and it's so sad and it's so depressing that you get really sad and depressed over, over it. But then you like almost have to pick up yourself by your bootstraps and go, you know what, this is, this is not okay. Like, and I have a platform and I have a voice and I need to speak up. And so I have been extremely vocal about it. I've gone and done marches about it. I've, you know, posted about it, obviously. And 
Um, I was even on, you know, a phone call with a CIA agent that specifically does this and, and really needing to find out what I could actually really do to make a change in this. Um, I ended up being on a phone call with this guy for three and a half hours and just really digging in and finding out what could actually be done. So, um, you know, I just encourage anyone that's out there that's like, oh, this is phony baloney. It's not. And it's literally happening in your backyard. And if you have a child and you are choosing to stick your head in the sand, you're being an idiot. And beyond that, you're not doing right by your child because it is happening all around us. And, you know, the videos that are circulating on social media and just how quickly children can be kidnapped and taken from you and all that, you really need to be aware of that so that you can protect your children and that you know what's going on. Um, And also so that you can protect your children, not even from just like a kidnapping like that, but from the predators that are online. And the fact that your child has access to a cell phone or is on, you know, iPads or is playing a video game and you think that he's playing a video game with another kid and it actually happens to be a pedophile on the other end um, is the scary stuff. I mean, I've heard stories about pastors that literally give 11-year-old girl a secret cell phone that's just between the two of them and they are sexting um, together and she's hiding the cell phone in between her mattress so her parents don't see it. So you guys, they are everywhere. They're everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's church, if it's this, if it's that. You need to be in touch with your children. You need to know what is happening with every level of what's going on in their life. And you need to be actively involved and you need to be talking to your children about it because it is very real. It is in our backyards. And if you're being naive to it, then it's just, you're not doing right by your children. No, and thank you so much for being so vocal and real about that because I think that because of social and everything else going on in the world, there is so much quote-unquote conspiracy around this and oh, it can't be happening and it's third world stuff and it's not here and it's like, no, wake up, it is here. The U.S. is the number one consumer. Those that did listen to Tim's show know all about what he shared with OR Rescue that Gretchen just shared and what they've been doing and what they've been combating and fighting every day and how these children do go missing and how it's 800,000 people are missing a year and just the numbers are just insane and you're right once you look at it once you dive into it you can't like you just can't put your head back down you're like oh my god my eyes are open my heart is open how do I help how do I do more and thank you for sharing that with you know the screening I told Tim I want to try to do something with the screening here in LA because I think more and more people need to be educated and watch this and understand what this is all about and I have seen you get loud on your social and the rallies that you have done and I think that the more we can talk about it more openly like anything else that people really don't want to talk about the more we bring light to this the more we help get rid of that darkness the more we make people aware the more hopefully we eradicate what is happening yeah a thousand percent and you know it really um there's something you just said that made me that made me want to say something, and now I forgot what it was because that's called mommy brain, <laughs> <laughs> which is a real but thing. And when you have a baby and a mom, it's like, you're a, like mommy oh, baby brain. It's like, <laughs> it's like so bad. So, um, but yeah, I really, I really do. If there's one thing I would say, like really just get get knowledgeable about what's happening. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. I was that person that you just described, like, oh, that's in the third world country, that doesn't happen here, da, da, da. I was that naive person. Um, and it wasn't until everything started coming out and it just kept presenting itself to me that I was like, okay, what's really happening? And by the way, you guys, we all know that, you know, there's fake news and there's media and there's all this crap. So 
um, you know, you don't just have to take our word for it and you do, and you shouldn't with anybody, you should do your own research and you should go find stuff out and look and, and figure it out. You know, I always encourage the same thing with vaccines. It's like, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I just choose after digging and learning and seeing stuff that that's just not the best choice for me and our family. But I would have never done that. I was, t I, I went and got her first vaccine. I had no idea about any of the stuff until I actually started doing the research myself and something in my gut, my mommy gut told me to just go do some research. So just with anything, like go do your research, listen to your gut, hear what's going on and do it to protect your own child so that no, never in your life you get to have a regret or you get to say, man, I wish I knew that. That's right. I mean, and thank you so much for saying that. And same, I'm not anti-vaxxer either. I've been called, but I've been called all kind of crazy and things. And it's like, I choose to delay because of things I've also researched and experienced and friends have experienced, right. people I know around me. And you're right, no matter what it is on any level, especially as a mom and a parent, it's you are your child's advocate. You are the only advocate for them and you need to do your best by them. And that comes from researching and empowering yourself. And thank God we have so many places to be able to research to know what things are and not just take things for face value, so to say. So thank you for being so real and honest, you know, about that and being just like so vulnerable to share all of that because I think it's really hard for anyone to share that, let alone someone like yourself to say, hey, listen, I had my head in the sand for a second there and I did my research and I came out and I became more empowered and became more knowledgeable. And now I make decisions a little bit differently and there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with changing your mind. It, it, this is what you do as you learn as a parent. So thank you for saying that Gretchen and thank you for being so honest about it. Yeah. Well, I, know yeah, real I, think really I have to let you go, but, um, Tell us, is there anything else you want to share that's coming or anything like that? And then, of course, people know where to follow you. But tell us where to follow you. Tell us where to check out all the amazing things you can do <laughs> in the show. Um, you know, just all of my social media handles are at Gretchen Rossi. Obviously, our podcast, you can download on any of the streaming um, uh, channels, apps. I forget what you even call it at this point. <laughs> um, but any of the apps or streaming platforms for podcasts. Um, it's called not too taboo. You can follow us on social at not too taboo as well um, for that. So I would say those would be the main things. And then if you, if you're interested in, um, you know, talking to me more about the hair care, um, just send me an email, which is glow up with G at gmail.com or any of the CBD stuff. Same, same spot glow up with G at gmail.com amazing it'll all be in the show notes loves gretchen thank you for being such a force for being so inspiring not just for women but also now for moms i love what you do and you know i love you and your heart and i can't thank you enough for being on and inspiring us all today so cheers till next time guys bye